1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
0: Welcome to PropG Pod's Office Hours. This is the part of the show where we answer your questions about business, big tech, entrepreneurship, and whatever else is on your mind. If you'd like to submit a question, please email a voice recording to officehours at profgmedia.com. Again, that's officehours at profgmedia.com. I have not seen or read these questions. First question. Hi, Scott. My name is Adam, and I've been a longtime fan of your work on the Prof G and Pivot podcast. My question for you today is about Google. You've mentioned in the past that Google's advertising network is akin to an internet tax, which I found to be spot on. While I am seeing trends that more digital advertising is moving to TikTok, Amazon, and Apple, Google still has an enormous monopoly in digital ads and will probably have that monopoly for years to come. Do you think that the U.S. government will make any headway in their lawsuits against Google? I don't see the U.S. government being able to take on Google and really understand how much leverage Google has over the entire marketplace. What do you think will happen here and when? Uh, Adam, thanks for the question. I used to get a lot of these questions. I think everyone's just so tired of my rant around antitrust and big tech. Everyone's just a bit exhausted. So let's start off um, with some basics. Google has a 92% share of search. Imagine if the global auto industry—I and don't even think that's—I'm not even sure that's this big. There was one company that had 92% share. Imagine all of media. Would we be down with that? The answer. is no. And just on an existential level, Google has become our God. You trust Google more than any rabbi, priest, mentor, scholar, or boss. Google knows what STDs you have. It knows if you're thinking about getting engaged or getting divorced. It knows your HIV status. It knows your political leanings. It knows your sexual fetishes. Should 92% of the questions, what is a prayer? A prayer is a query into the universe where you hope That some sort of divine entity that sees everything can process your prayer, your query, and then send back an answer that you trust and provides comfort and guidance. Should one company be responsible for 92% of those answers? I just think it's dangerous, that uniformity of thought. And here's the other really unique thing about Google and search. And that is the tools are so egalitarian on Google. And this is the genius for their shareholders on their part. There's no way to develop medium, much less long-term advantage with Google. So if you can't develop strategic advantage, if you can't develop competitive advantage, but everybody has to use it because everyone else is using it, it's not a service, it's not a product, it's a tax. And the good folks at Google will say, well, there are uh, natural monopoly reasons to have one company that has 92% share, that the amount of money they have to invest in R&D, the infrastructure required to ensure safety and give people the types of answers to their queries that they want, naturally lends itself to one dominant player. Okay, I buy it. And there's a name for that, a utility. Florida Power and Light doesn't have any competitors because it makes sense to have one utility such that they can... They can get economies of scale and they can build one nuclear reactor, one coal fire plant or whatever it is they build and spread that across the 10 or 15 million homes in Florida. So what do we do? Because they get to dominate because they're a monopoly, they become a regulated monopoly. We look at their prices. We demand total opacity in terms of their business dealings. So which is it, Google? Which is it? Should there be other competitors such that we have more diversity of thought, more competition? Or does it make sense for one company to have a 90 plus percent Uh, market share, which means you're a utility. They should absolutely be broken up. Having said that, I'm not confident it's gonna happen because I've been predicting it's gonna happen for five years and it never goddamn does. Why? Because of Citizens United, people can give money, companies can give endless amounts of money to politicians and it's the ultimate pay. It's the ultimate compensation for a politician. Charles Schumer gets money from big tech and guess what? He doesn't have to even be seen As an opponent of antitrust, all he has to do is fucking nothing. And, oh, my gosh, let's throw a fundraiser for good old Senator Schumer in the valley, and he can raise a ton of money. And he doesn't have to come out and say he's against antitrust because he knows he'll look like an asshole. He can say, okay, um, let's put it in committee. Let's think about it. And that's what's happening here. Big tech has basically totally overrun D.C., What has Big Tech got in exchange for their tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars of bribing these cheap whores in DC? They got a huge ROI. Specifically, what they got was nothing. Thanks for the question,
1: Adam. Question number two. Hi, Mr. Galloway. My name is Ahad Mirza. I'm a 24-year-old college student pursuing journalism. And ever since I discovered you and your content, I've seriously been considering going to law school after graduation. Journalism has always been a passion of mine. But as you say, don't follow your passion, follow what you're good at. So my question is, should I really be considering something as difficult, stressful, and expensive as law school, when I know a lot of my peers who have known that they wanted to be doctors and lawyers since the age of 10 couldn't get through the schooling, and I'm gonna be essentially using it as a fallback or a plan B? Ideally, I'd love to use the law degree with journalism in some way, but it'd be nice to have that financial fallback there. Should I stick with what I know I love and make substantially less money rather than risk the loans and the stress of a field I think I'd be good at but don't necessarily love? Please let me know. Thank you so much. Ahad, uh-huh. thanks for the uh, thoughtful question.
0: Let's take the first hill, and that is should you go back to law school? It used to be graduate school was kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, because it was so inexpensive. I got into the high school of business at Berkeley. The tuition was $2,000 a year. You know, return to college, get a two-year degree that had paid huge dividends my entire life. So getting into graduate school when I was applying in the 90s was sort of a no-brainer to go. Now it's less of a no-brainer because it's gotten so goddamn expensive. So the first thing is, I would suggest you're obviously, seriously thinking about it, apply to several schools. And it's not easy to apply. It's a pain in the ass. But if you're serious, apply to several schools and see where you get in. Because where the corporate world is, they're, they're snobs, they're elitists. And where you go to school makes a difference. The difference between Bolt and Hastings, both great law schools, and call it Pepperdine, which is probably, you know, it's a good school, but not a great school. There's a difference. And so to go into debt 30, 50,, 100, 150,000 dollars to get a law degree from Bolt, I think you can justify that. I think to go into that sort of debt at a tier two law school, I'm not sure you can justify that unless you have wealthy parents or just you know have the money, and it's not that big a deal to you. So the first is where you get in and what your financial situation is. Two. Is it a good idea for someone interested in journalism? Absolutely. Uh, law school is a fantastic education. It's just a shitty career. What do I mean by that? I took classes at Bolt and I found that um, critical thinking, the ability to write, being able to break down an issue and argue it uh, and craft a better solution uh, in front of people who evaluate how compelling you are and your ability to string together stories and call on the constitution and law. I just think it's, I think law school is a fantastic education. It's absolutely the way to go as long as you don't become a lawyer. I think being a lawyer is a shitty job. Now, I'm being very reductive here. There are some lawyers who love their job and, you know, they make a good living. But why do I think it's a shitty job? You're always someone's bitch. What? How do I use lawyers? When I have really shitty work that requires someone smart and an incredible attention to detail, that is when you call your lawyer. And when I call my lawyer, no joke, I can call the partner At my law firm, which is an esteemed firm that charges me anywhere between $800 and $1,800 an hour, I can call them, no joke, at 11 p.m. on a Saturday night, and by 11.30, the partner calls me back. The services business is a very – it's a young person's game. It's an intense business. You learn a lot. It's a great test of your skills. You have to be sort of a triathlete. But for the most part, it's shitty work that requires someone really smart. I think it's a terrible job or not a great job and a great education. Now, specifically to you, I think someone pursuing journalism that has the benefit of a great legal training and that education, oh, my gosh, Ahad, that's gangster. I think of Matt Levine, who was an investment banker and now a journalist. I'm not a journalist, but I'm a media person. And where I add value is I have a pretty hardcore business background. So I'm able to be bring some peanut butter and chocolate. So whether you go to law school is a function of your financial situation, and two, having a graduate degree that complements your journalistic ability is a great peanut butter and chocolate strategy. Thanks for the question, Ahad. We have one quick break before our final question. Stay with us. Welcome back, question number three. Hey, Prof G, thank you for taking my question. I am 23 years old, and I work as a business software consultant in Denver, Colorado. I've been in consulting for nearly two years, and I'm looking to make the jump to industry sometime next year out of a desire for a more fulfilling, hands-on career in product management. I have a good connection at a company in Southern California, and I feel that this may be a perfect job for me. I love the company, the brand, the product, and I feel that I can make a real difference in the world by working there. The problem is I love living here in Colorado, and I feel that this is the perfect place for me. Should I pursue what is potentially a dream job in a place where I feel may not be as happy or fit in, or should I put where I live first? Hey, Ryan from Colorado. So first off, I hope you take pause, and I didn't do this when I was your age, to just realize how blessed you are. You live in America. You live in what I would argue is one of the greatest states in the greatest country in the world. I love Colorado. It's purple. It's reasonable. Uh, I love Jared Paulus. I love Michael Bennett. I think Denver is an amazing city. I would I do predictions deck every year, and I pick a city of the year, and I'm wondering if Denver. Denver's kind of in my top three. You'll have to tune in to find out. Anyways, but you're incredibly blessed. Having said that, take the job in SoCal, Ryan. You're at an age where you want to be focused on uh, economic security, and you want to be—you want to let the tail that wags the dog here be professional uh, opportunity. And first off, you're not exactly moving to you know Alaska. Not that Alaska isn't lovely. You're not exactly moving to you know Worthington, Ohio, where I actually lived for a while. You're moving to Southern California, which a lot of people would kill to live in. Southern California is wonderful, and also your ability to discern. Where you live, when it gets really important, specifically when you have a spouse and kids, is gonna be a function of your economic security. Economic security is a, a pedantic way of saying options. I get to move to London, which makes no professional success whatsoever, Because I worked my ass off and I moved to New York to work for an investment bank, and then I moved back to LA, and then I moved to the Bay Area for opportunity. I mean, I kind of wanted to move to these places, but that wasn't what was driving it. It was economic security. You're at a stage in your life where for the next 10 or 20 years, you should be focused on very few things. First and foremost, developing economic security. If The opportunities in Southern California, then that's where you're headed, my brother. And that might mean, if you get that economic security, you'll have the option to live Again, in Colorado, 23 job offers, Colorado, Southern California. Ryan, it is good to be Ryan. That's all for this episode. Again, if you'd like to submit a question, please email a voice recording to hours at Our producers are Caroline Shagrin, Claire Miller and Drew Burrows. Sammy Resnick is our associate producer. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to The Prophecy Pod from the Vox Media Podcast Network. We will catch you next week.